0: Welcome to Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here's your host, DC Lundberg. Thank you very much, Joey. This is our gross episode of Locked On Mariners, episode 144. Yes, thank you very much. Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to this program on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or whichever podcasting app that you personally care to use ask your smart device to play locked on mariners podcast or any program here on the locked on podcast network or t-l-o-p-n or Tlopn. follow us on twitter at lo underscore mariners and follow me on twitter at dc underscore lundberg l u n d v e r g. if you're scoring at home at the end of last week, we dipped into the hot stove a little bit and uh, caught you up on all the Mariners transactions. There are a few uh, items to clean up, however, things that I missed somehow, not missed, but just didn't report or whatever, and that is that th- uh, the five players who were outrighted to AAA Tacoma Uh, Tyler Gilbo was claimed off waivers by the Diamondbacks. The other four, Nestor Cortez, Carl Edwards Jr., Matt McGill, and Gerson Bautista, they're all minor league free agents, so they're no longer part of the organization. Wanted to clean that up from the end of last week. Today we're going to get back to talking about classic World Series of yesteryear, and uh, today it's going to be 1968, which capped off the year of the pitcher. This one featured the Detroit Tigers and St. Louis Cardinals, and it went the full seven games. This was also the final World Series, which was not preceded by League Championship Series, as divisional play didn't start until next year, 1969. The Detroit Tigers wound up with a record of 103-59, and 59, tops in the AL, and the St. Louis Cardinals wound up at 97-65, and 65, tops in the National League, and these were the top two records. In Major League Baseball, both teams were pretty much powered by their pitching staff. The Tigers wound up with a two seven one earned run average, third in the American League, and they gave up the fewest runs uh, four hundred and ninety two runs. Cardinals, on the other hand, wound up with the top ERA in the national League at four two pardon me two point four nine and they also gave up the fewest runs four hundred seventy two so they 're pretty close in terms of runs given up. The Tigers also featured future Hall of Famer Al Kaline and pitcher Denny McLean, who was the last pitcher in Major League Baseball to win 30 or more games in a season, winning 31. He went 31-6, ERA of 1.96 in 41 starts, 336 innings pitched. And a whip of 0.905. St. Louis, on the other hand, boasted Bob Gibson, future Hall of Famer, who had a season for the ages. 22-9 was his record. 34 games, all of them starts. 1-1-2 ERA. That's insane. Whip of 0.853. And they also had a young Steve Carlton on their pitching staff. Offensively, they also had future Hall of Famer Orlando Cepeda, Roger Maris, who hit 61 home runs in 1961, and Smooth Field and Kurt Flood, who hit over 300. Very solid offensive team, though unspectacular. They had a team batting average of .249, which was 4th in the National League, on base of .298, which was 5th in the National League, slugging of .346, which was 3rd in the National League. Remember, these offensive numbers across Major League Baseball are going to be a bit tempered this season because the pitching was just so good. Good. Detroit, on the other hand, they have future Hall of Famer Al Kaline. They've got borderline Hall of Famer Bill Freehan. And solid veterans Willie Horton, Jim Northrup, and Norm Cash. Very, very good offense. Kind of similar to the Cardinals offense. They had a batting average of .235, fourth in the American League. Their 307 on base was second, and their 385 slugging was first. Seems unspectacular, but those were near the top of the league because the pitching was just out of this world in 1968. Game one of this 1968 World Series is the big one. This is the one I'm probably going to spend the most time on, and it will probably take up the remainder of the first half of the show. This is the classic game in which Bob Gibson... Well, I'll, I'll tell you the results in a little bit. I think if you're a baseball fan and know your baseball history, I think you know what happened here. It was Bob Gibson against 31-game winner Denny McClain. Top of the first inning, Dick McAuliffe leads off for the Tigers, and Bob Gibson strikes him out, which is a sign of things to come. Mickey Stanley singles and then is caught stealing for the second out of the inning. Al Kaline then strikes out to end the inning. So two of the first three... Outs are strikeouts, and if it wasn't for that caught stealing, you know, who knows. In any case, uh, Danny McClain sets the Cardinals down 1-2-3 in the bottom of the first inning. Lou Brock, Kurt Flood, and Roger Maris. No picnic getting through those three. Top of the second inning, Bob Gibson strikes out Norm Cash, Bob Gibson strikes out Willie Horton, and Bob Gibson strikes out Jim Northrup. Hmm, okay, another one, two, three inning. Danny McLean strikes out two hitters in in the bottom of the second inning, and then Bob Gibson goes back to work in the third. Bill Freehand strikes out looking. Don Wirt hits a single. Danny McLean tries to sacrifice Wirt to second, but he strikes out on a foul bunt. Dick McAuliffe then grounds out. Third inning, Danny McLean does not allow the Cardinals to score, and Bob Gibson goes back to work in the fourth inning. Fly out to right field by Mickey Stanley... Strikeout looking from K-line, and a flyout from Norm Cash. Cardinals finally score in the bottom of the fourth inning. Leading off the inning, Roger Maris draws a walk. Orlando Cepeda then pops out to the first baseman. Tim McCarver then walks. So now you've got runners at first and second base with just one man out. Mike Shannon, who has been broadcasting for the Cardinals forever, it seems, is the next batter up, and he singles to left field to score Roger Maris. McCarver advances to third base. And there's an error on the left fielder, which allows Shannon to get to second base. That brings up Julian Javier, who singles to right field, scoring both McCarver and Shannon. Shannon's run is an unearned. Javier steals second. Dal Maxville then flies out to left field. And then Bob Gibson strikes out, but the Cardinals get on the board three times in the bottom of the fourth inning, sending Bob Gibson back out to the mound to, fa- to face Willie Horton, who pops out to second base. Jim Northrup lines one to shortstop for an out. Bill Freehand walks, and then Dunwart strikes out looking. McLean does not allow any Cardinals to score in the fifth inning. And leading off the sixth, Danny McLean is pinch hit for by Tommy Matchick, and he grounds out to the first baseman. Uh, Dick McAuliffe hits a single. Mickey Stanley strikes out. Al Kaline hits a double, sending McAuliffe to third base and then Norm Cash strikes out, swinging to end the inning. Pat Dobson is on the mound, now repl- replacing the pinch-hitting Matt Chick, and he induces a pop-out from Tim McCarver, a ground-out from Mike Shannon, and then walks Julian Javier. Javier is caught stealing to end the inning. Bob Gibson faces Willie Horton to lead off the 7th. He lines out to the shortstop and then gets Jim Northrup and Bill Freehan to fan. Bottom of the seventh inning, the Cardinals put another run on the board. Dal Maxville leads off with a pop foul to the first baseman. Bob Gibson then pops out to the first baseman, and Hall of Famer Lou Brock hits a solo home run. Kurt Flood then singles and steals second base, but Roger Maris pops out to the second baseman to end the inning, but the Cardinals have an insurance run. Eddie Matthews then pinch hits for Don Wirt, but he strikes out, so it doesn't do a whole lot of good. Uh, Gates Brown pinch hits for the pitcher Pat Dobson. He flies out to left field, as does Dick McAuliffe. Bottom of the eighth inning, Don McMahon is now on the mound, and Dick Trzuski is now playing third base. Other than a Mike Shannon single, Cardinals don't do anything in the bottom of the eighth inning. So now they send Bob Gibson back out to the mound for the top of the ninth to try to break a World Series record. To this point, he has struck out 14 batters. Will he set the record? Short answer, Yes. Mickey Stanley leads off with a single. Al Kaline strikes out swinging for strikeout number 15. Norm Cash strikes out swinging for strikeout number 16. And the final batter, Willie Horton, watches strike three go over the plate, giving Gibson the World Series record of 17 strikeouts in one game unbelievable he winds up going nine innings he gives up five hits he walks only one 17 strikeouts Denny McClain five innings three runs two of them earned on three hits three walks three strikeouts Pat Dobson two innings two hits a run it was earned it was on a home run that Lou Brock home run and one walk Don McMahon one inning one hit and nothing else given up Julian Javier I mentioned that he played in this game. He is the father of former Mariner Stan Javier. And Stan is named after a former teammate of Julian's none other than Cardinals great Stan the Man Musial. little bonus trivia during game one of this 1968 World Series. Again, Bob Gibson absolutely dominant in this game, Hard, like hardly any pitcher we've ever seen in World Series history. This was one of the greatest pitching performances in World Series history, ladies and gentlemen, 17 strikeouts in nine innings, scattering five hits and only walking one. It does not get much better than that, ladies and gentlemen. His control was spot on. His slider was moving all over the place. What a way to cap off one of the greatest seasons ever had by a major league pitcher. We'll go through games two through seven on the other side of this commercial break, which is going to be led off with a word from Built Bar. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Built Bar, the best protein bars in the history of items covered in 100% real chocolate. You heard me right, 100% real chocolate. They are high in protein, they are low in calories, they are low in carbohydrates, they are low in sugar, they are gluten-free, and the nut-free flavors nut-free facility, and they taste great. They are fantastic. I even like the almond carrot cake, and I did not think I was going to like that one at all. All 18 flavors are terrific. Peanut butter brownies, great. Mint brownies, great. German chocolate cake. uh, Chocolate raspberry, chocolate orange. I could go on and on just talking about the flavors, but try them for yourself, ladies and gentlemen. You will not be disappointed. Go on over to BuiltBar.com. Yes, BuiltBar.com. To order a box of these bars for yourself. You can even put together a box of bars of the flavors you'd most like to try or your already established favorites. I did this and I chose the mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, and German chocolate cake. All this can be found at BuiltBar.com in addition to Built Boost drink powder, which is also fantastic, and Built Go energy shots if you need a shot of energy before a workout or something of that sort. And if you try to use promo code, I don't know where I'm going, but I sure know where I've been, a phrase that's on my license plate holder. Nothing happens. So do locked on instead. Code locked on. And that'll get you 20% off of your next order. Yes, you heard me, gang. 20% off of your next order of the best protein bars ever to hit the face of the earth. I think I oversold that a little bit. I don't know. I love these things. I gotta buy them just like everybody else. I get no discounts and I still buy them. You got a question or comment? Send it to LockedonMariners at gmail.com and I will use it for an upcoming email episode. I will read it and reply to it on this very program. Questions or comments about anything? Ask me about the uh, Mariners off-season moves, the off-season moves that other Major League Baseball teams are making. Ask me about the PBA playoffs. Which did not go exactly how I thought they were going to on Sunday. And this Sunday, ladies and gentlemen, are the final few rounds. The PBA playoff champion is going to be decided this Sunday. And I'll be going to be plugging that on the show all week, probably. In any case, LockedOnMariner's gmail.com. Questions and comments about any subject that your brain head can think of. Just keep it clean. Remember, I keep saying this is a family show. I'm not going to read dirty or smutty questions or any inappropriate questions of any sort on this show. And we will continue on the other side of this vital word of importance. Now back to Locked On Mariners and your host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you very much, Joey. Locked On Mariners back with you. As I said, the gross episode of Locked On Mariners, episode 144. In reality, episode 144 of this program's second season, there were 34 shows done at the very end of the 2019 season, and then I took over in January. Episode 144 of my tenure here. So I think it's episode 178 or something like that. Andy Patton did 34 episodes last year. As I have mentioned, we're going to get back to talking about the 1968 World Series. We did Game 1 in the first half of the show, and that took up the entire half because that was one of the greatest pitching performances ever in baseball history by Bob Gibson. The rest of the series, for being the year of the pitcher, filled with blowouts, believe it or not, the next game... The Detroit Tigers uh, tied up the series in a game of pace with an 8 to 1 victory, and they scored five of their runs before St. Louis got on the board. Willie Horton began the scoring in the top of the second inning with a solo home run, and in the top of the third, Mickey Lowlich hit a home run. Mickey Lolich is Detroit's starting pitcher this day. In the top of the sixth inning, Norm Cash would lead off with a solo home run, and Dick McAuliffe would, would score Willie Horton. On an RBI single, Cardinals would get on the board in the sixth inning with an RBI single from Orlando Cepeda, scoring Lou Brock. Next half inning, however, Jim Northrup would ground into a double play on which Al Kaline would score. So he doesn't get an RBI, but he gets the run right back that the Cardinals picked up in the sixth inning. Top of the ninth inning, Detroit would score two more on two bases-loaded walks, Don Wirt and Mickey Lolich, would both walk, forcing in Al Kaline and Norm Cash, respectively. Eight to one, the final in this one. Mickey Lolich, you know, despite this being a, a blowout, Mickey Lolich pitched very, very well. Complete game, nine innings, six hits, one run. It was earned, two walks, and nine strikeouts. On the other side, Nelson Briles did not uh, do very well. Five innings, seven hits, four runs. All of them earned. One walk, two strikeouts three home runs given up. Series is tied at one game apiece at this point. St. Louis would pick up game three with a 7-3 final. This one was a little closer than the other one. Detroit would wind up scoring first. In the third inning, Al Kaline would hit a two-run home run. The uh, Cardinals would answer back in the fifth inning, and as a matter of fact, they would go ahead. It was a Kurt Flood RBI double to score Lou Brock, and then a Tim McCarver three-run home run to score Flood and Roger Maris. Detroit would get one back in the bottom of the fifth inning on a Dick McAuliffe solo home run, and then Orlando Cepeda would hit a three-run home run in the top of the seventh to score again Flood and Maris. That's the scoring for this game 7-3 final. St. Louis wins it. Ray Washburn started for the Cardinals. He only goes five and a third. Three hits, three runs, all earned. Four walks, two strikeouts, two home runs. Earl Wilson started for Detroit. Four and a third innings for him. These are pitching lines more akin to what we saw this postseason rather than in 1968. But four and a third innings, four hits, three runs, all earned. Six walks. That's terrible. And three strikeouts. Cardinals would take games four as well. And this was no contest. 10 to nothing the final here. St. Louis gets on the board in the top of the very first inning. As a matter of fact, the first batter of the game, Lou Brock, goes deep against Denny McLean. Later on in the inning, Mike Shannon would hit a ground ball to the shortstop, which is a single. Maris scores on the play to give the Cardinals a quick 2 0 lead. Cardinals would tack two more on in the third against Denny McLean a Tim McCarver RBI triple and a Mike Shannon RBI double. And they would tack two. More on in the fourth inning, get this, Bob Gibson would lead off with a home run. So in addition to his great pitching performance in game one, he hits a home run in game four to extend the Cardinals' lead. Later on in the inning, Roger Maris grounds out, but Lou Brock scores, so he does get an RBI out of it. Uh, Tigers do score in the bottom of the fourth, the only run they would score all day, a Jim Northrup home run. In the 8th inning, Bob Gibson would walk with the bases loaded to score Mike Shannon, and then Lou Brock would clear the bases with a 3-run double to bring the score to that 10-1 to final. Bob Gibson threw another complete game in this one, and it was almost just as good as Game 1. 9 innings, 5 hits, 1 run, it was earned, it was a solo home run, and 10 strikeouts. So in the 2 games he's pitched in the World Series, 18 innings, 27 strikeouts. What can you say about it? It speaks for itself. You don't need to say anything about that. Plus two RBIs, one of them on a solo home run you know I don't know what else to say about it so we'll move on to the next game which is game 5 with the series tied at 2 games apiece Detroit would wind up taking this game 5 to 3 in what was a pretty close ball game St. Louis would score all 3 of their runs in the top of the 3rd inning a Kurt Flood RBI single and an Orlando Cepeda 2-run home run that's that would be it for them that day. Tigers would get their scoring started in the bottom of the 4th inning on a sacrifice fly from Norm Cash and an RBI single from Jim Northrup. So it's now a 3 to 2 score in the Cardinals' favor this time. Detroit would go ahead in the 7th inning. Al Kaline would hit a 2-run single followed immediately by a Norm Cash RBI single to bring the score to to 5-3, which was the final score. Mickey Lolich threw another complete game in this one. Nine innings, nine hits, three runs, they're all earned. Only one walk, a home run, and eight strikeouts. Nelson Bryles, six in the third innings, six hits, three runs, three walks, Five strikeouts. Better than his Game 2 performance, still not terrific. Better than Joe Horner, though, who only faced four batters and did not retire a single one. He gave up three hits and a walk, and two of those later came around to score. Ron Willis pitched an inning and two-thirds. He wouldn't give up anything, and he would strike out one. That brings us to Game 6. Another blowout, but this one was won by the Detroit Tigers. Ray Washburn would start for the Cardinals, and he would not do very well Neither would most of the bullpen. Detroit gets the scoring underway in the top of the second inning. A Willie Horton RBI double and a Bill Freehand RBI single. They'd get busy in the third inning, scoring 10 runs. Dick McAuliffe leads off with a walk. Mickey Stanley then hits a single, sending McAuliffe to second. K-Line drives in McAuliffe with a single. Washburn's done. He is replaced by Larry Jaster. Didn't do much good. Norm Cash would single and drive in Stanley. Willie Horton would walk to load the bases, and then Jim Northrup would hit a grand slam, and the game was almost over at this point. Larry Jaster's done, and he's replaced by Ron Willis, who immediately walks Bill Freehand, hits Don Wirt with a pitch, and then Denny McLean sacrifices them to third base and second base, respectively. Willis then intentionally walks Dick McAuliffe to load the bases. Mickey Stanley grounds out to the first baseman, but the first baseman threw home to force out Bill Freehan, and the bases are still loaded. That play was scored 3-2. That brings up Al Kaline, who hits a single to left field, scoring both Wurts and McAuliffe. Willis is done, and Dick Hughes is in. If you're keeping track, this is the fourth pitcher of the inning. He immediately gives up an RBI single to Norm Cash, and then Willie Horton hits an RBI single, and then finally Jim Northrup, who had hit the grand slam earlier in the inning, flies out to end this inning. Holy Toledo. The Tigers sent 15 batters to the plate, and again, they score 10, and... in. (laughs) And going into the bottom of the third, it's a 12 nothing Tigers lead. They would pick up their 13th run in the top of the fifth, an Al Kaline solo home run. And the Cardinals would not score until the bottom of the ninth. An RBI single from Julian Javier for a 13-1 final. Again, this was one of those games that it was over very, very early on. Denny McClain finally had a good World Series pitching performance. Complete game. Nine hits. One run, it was earned. And seven strikeouts. And as far as uh, St. Louis pitchers go, there were a lot of them. None of them did particularly well. So I'm not even going to bother. But that does set up a decisive Game 7 on october tenth nineteen sixty eight and this wound up being ladies and gentlemen, a fairly close ball game. Neither team would score until the seventh inning, and in that seventh inning, the Tigers would get on the board with a two run triple from Jim Northrup and an RBI double from Bill Freehand to take a three nothing lead in the ninth, they would add an insurance run. On a Don Wert RBI single. 4 0 going into the bottom of the ninth inning. Kurt Flood leads off for the Cardinals. He lines out to the shortstop. Baby Bull, Orlando Cepeda, is next, but he fouls out to the catcher. A pop fly. Mike Shannon is next, and he gets the Cardinals on the board with a solo home run. But it was too little too late. Next batter Tim McCarver also pops out to the catcher in foul territory, making the Detroit Tigers the 1968 World Series champions. And while I do not want to take anything away from this Tigers victory, I have to admit that it's kind of a shame that Bob Gibson's historic performance did not come in a cardinals world series victory but you cannot take anything away from what bob gibson did in this series and you can't take anything away from what mickey lolich did in this series as well he threw three complete games won all of them and he is ladies and gentlemen your 1968 world series mvp fantastic pitching performances on both sides even though there were some blowout games here the teams that won generally threw complete games at the opposition, so it's odd to say that this was a well-pitched World Series. If the team won, then that team generally pitched well. But if the team lost, then generally they didn't. It's t- it, and again, it is very odd to see eight to one, ten to one, thirteen to one in the year of the pitcher. But that's how this World Series wound up happening. It was a very interesting World Series and a a historic one for Bob Gibson's performance in Game 1. That's going to wrap up this look back at the 1968 World Series, ladies and gentlemen. Tomorrow, I'm going to talk about another brilliantly pitched World Series. We're going to go all the way back to 1905. And here to help me go back to 1905 will be Jake Decker, Mortimer Mouse and a Hammond C3 organ. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to Locked On Mariners on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or whichever podcasting app that might happen to spring into your brain head. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners and follow me on Twitter at DC underscore Lundberg. I hope you've been enjoying these look backs at Classic World Series as I have been enjoying talking about them. This historic stuff, I love this baseball history. I hope you do too. Remember, 1905 World Series tomorrow. Talk to you then. This is Joey Martin speaking for Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.